We have spent the summer in a series through the Psalms. Of course, not all of the Psalms. We're just systematically working through kind of week by week, Psalm by Psalm. And this morning we find ourselves in Psalm 56. This will be the conclusion of our summer in the Psalm series. Uh, Next week will be a celebration uh, Sunday with a sermon uh, ordered around that. And I do hope that you're able to join with us. If you're a guest, we would love to have you back with us uh, next week as well. And then we'll be starting a uh, sermon series entitled, Why Bother with the Church? So I'll let you just kind of consider that, and I hope that will pique your interest, and you'll be with us through that sermon series as well. Psalm 56 this morning. Do you enjoy being afraid? Do you enjoy being scared? You might wonder why I would even ask that, but when you think about it, we have entire amusement parks designed to give you fear and to entertain you with it. I remember going with my family to uh, Disney's Hollywood Studios, and there was a ride in there called the Tower of Terror. They just named it that, uh, which is inviting you to come and be afraid. And we would get into that ride, and uh, we would sit in an ele- a kind of fake elevator, and they would motor us around. Eventually, they would take you up. They would uh, drop you, and then take you up again randomly and drop you. And this was happening while you, around everybody else around you, was screaming. And you'd get done, and you'd say, let's do it again. Do you enjoy being afraid? Uh, We, of course, understand that there's a difference in kinds of fear. We realize there's a difference in the thrill of an amusement park ride and the roar of an incoming hurricane. There's a difference. We recognize there's a difference between the thrill of an amusement park ride and the beating on your front door at night when an intruder is trying to forcibly enter. There's a difference. We realize that. Psalm 56 is a psalm about fear, not the fun, thrilling kind of fear, but the kind of fear that can almost paralyze you, a kind of fear where you feel the threat, and it's a real threat. And Psalm 56 is a psalm about fear, and it tells us, it shows us in David's life, a model of how Christians can live through and overcome fear, the kind of fear that could paralyze us or make us hopeless. The last few psalms we've looked at together in the series have been tied to directly events in David's life or maybe indirectly. We can kind of surmise maybe some of what's going on in and around the the writing of the psalms. Psalm 56 is another one of those psalms that is directly attributed to a specific instance in David's life. And you can see it there in the title lines before the psalm. when It's it's attributed to a time when David uh, was seized by the Philistines in Gath. That story can be found in 1 Samuel chapter 21, beginning in verse 10. And we have already kind of covered this story. Well, we've kind of looked over the story in the Psalms leading up to this. So if you've been with us through this series, you're familiar with some of the events in David's life up to this point. Do you remember in Psalm 52 when David is writing a lament, a heartbroken lament about the injustice and the loss of life as a result of Doeg the Edomite's ruthless slaughter of of Ahimelech, and the priests, 85 priests there in the, in the citizens in Nob. Uh, if you remember that storyline, David had been running from Saul for his life. He's a fugitive on the run. He finds himself without any sort of provision. He goes to Ahimelech and asks Ahimelech the priest, do you have anything that you can give me? Ahimelech only has the, the, the showbread, the holy bread. He gives David the holy bread. David asks, do you have any weapons? All that Ahimelech had nearby was the sword of Goliath. David takes that sword and he flees. He's still running away from Saul. 
David runs from Ahimelech, runs from, run, uh, he leaves Saul, or leaves Ahimelech on his fugitive path from Saul, and David chooses to go to the city of Gath. Now, if you remember, Goliath was the champion of Gath. This tells you how distressed David was. He runs from one threat into what we would consider an equal, an equal threat. He arrives in Gath. I think he believed, it's just, we assume that he believed that Saul would not chase after him into Gath. David finds himself in Gath, and what happens is word of his arrival spreads. He can't keep it a secret. He, in some ways, is a celebrity. We learn in 1 Samuel 21 that the citizens of Gath were starting to, it was starting to spread. You hear that David's in town? David's here? And they were saying, this is the guy that they would, they would sing about. Saul has killed his thousands. David, his ten thousands. This guy is in the city. So it seems that guards were sent to seize David and bring him to the king of Gath, Achish. And I would assume that Achish's plans for David would not have been pleasant. This was the champion of their, uh, this was the guy who overcame their champion, Goliath. Now he's in their city, they have him. This is the guy, this is the notable warrior that they would sing these songs about. David is seized, there's no way that he can escape. There's no way he can elude his captors. And he is a man full of fear. So what he does is an outer act of desperation. He acts like he's a crazy person. He acts like he's an insane madman. He starts frothing at the mouth. Spittle comes down his beard, the text says. He says that he walks around and starts marking on the doors. Some just random, like, what's this guy doing? I don't know, he's a crazy guy. He, they present him to Achish, the king of Gath, and Achish sees no honor. He sees no, nothing to be valued in killing this madman, this insane guy. It seems like David is already become, he's already serving out his punishment of insanity. And so Achish says to, his, to them, why have you brought me another madman? Don't I have enough madmen in my city already? Get rid of them. And so they let David go. And he writes the psalm. This psalm is a direct, flows out of the pen of David after he has been chased and running like a fugitive, runs into the city of Gath, is captured, and then is released under those circumstances. Psalm 56 is about how Christians can respond to and overcome fear. And it's my hope that our brief time in this psalm here this morning will help us all learn how to navigate fears in a healthy way, in a Christian way. And I hope it will help us help one another navigate fears. Because we've all been in those circumstances where fear kind of shuts us down, it kind of paralyzes us, and we, we, we no longer can think clearly about the issues, and we need one another in healthy Christian community to remind each other of the spiritual truths that we have from God and His Word in Christ, and to help us as we navigate those fears. So before we get into the specifics of this text, I'm just going to take us through the broad strokes, and then I've got two simple points for us to consider uh, for the sermon this morning. The beginning of this text in verses 1 and 2, David starts with really direct pleas for God's grace. He gives quick statements for why he needs God to be gracious. He describes the fear, the circumstances of why he is fearful. In 3 and 4, it seems like David is preaching a sermon to himself. He tries to calm his soul with positive statements about God, but it's almost as if he can't hang on to the truths. It's like those, those truths are eluding his heart. And so in verses 5 and 7, he goes right back to giving God more descriptions and reasons for his fears, for his angst and his concern. In verse 8, I think we start to see David's frame of mind turning. 8, 9, and 10, he begins to meditate 
on his relationship with God. And he starts, in this exercise, starts to give him confidence and a sense of inner peace so that in verse 10, David is no longer complaining. Instead, he's praising. And his soul is so full of confidence in God's word that he now says, I will not be afraid. In the final two verses, 12 and 13, David can't help but offer sacrifices of thanksgiving. Even though God has not rescued him yet entirely from all of his troubles, he is still confident in God that, he, that God will take ultimate care of his soul and that he no longer is stumbling in the darkness of fear but now is walking in the light of life. So the gen, that's the general flow of Psalm 56. So for some specifics. Of course, you could hear a sermon on Psalm 56 that just simply says, don't be afraid. But that doesn't help any of us, does it? Oftentimes we feel like we are the victims of our fear, right? Fear just kind of moves in and takes hold. How are you supposed to get rid of it? Try that with, your, with a kid that you're caring for, right? They're afraid. Um, and I've tried this before. It doesn't work so well. Kids are afraid and you just look at them and say, don't be afraid. And they're looking at you like, how do I do that? So Psalm 56 has to have more to us than just simple phrases that we could say to each other like little magnet slap-on cliche statements. Just don't be afraid. Trust God. How do we do this? What does that look like? That's what I hope for us to see this morning. Number one, when you are afraid, trust God with your fears. And number two, when you are afraid, trust what God said. Number one, when you're afraid, trust God with your fears. Number two, trust what God said. So first, when you are afraid, trust God with your fears. We know that David is battling fear because of what he says in verse 3. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. He lived through circumstances that were fearful. By the way, this wasn't the only fearful circumstance he would face. We know that he's afraid. Verse 1 and 2 tells us some of the reasons why he's afraid. Uh, He describes it in general terms. Man tramples on me all day long. An attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long. You hear the repetition of this all day long. For David, this was relentless. This wasn't an occasional fear. This was continuous. It was something that was his constant companion in life, this kind of fear. It was relentless. And so in verse 5, he repeats that again when he says, all day long they injure my cause. He keeps returning to this description of this is a continual experience for him. This fear was relentless. As you read of David's life in 1 Samuel, it becomes apparent that in this circumstance, King Saul was deranged, was mentally unstable, and his preoccupation and his determination to hunt David down and kill him. And so one of the first things that we see David doing here as he admits his fear is he tells God about it. When I'm afraid, I trust in you. I believe Psalm 56 gives us a picture of what that looks like. Trust is kind of this abstract thing, right? what, What does trust look like? I think Psalm 56 gives us a picture in one way that what trust looks like is trust is trusting God when you are afraid is doing what David did in Psalm 56. Tell God about your fears. Tell him. I know this may seem very basic, but sometimes when we're fearful, we forget this. Or sometimes when we're with people who are afraid, we forget this. What this eventually can do, though, is it can put our fears into a different perspective. The new perspective that David eventually arrives at in verse 4, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid, then he has this perspective. What can flesh do to me? Now, this happens quickly in Psalm 56. It may not happen as quickly for you in your experience, 
But there is this change of perspective in the exercise of David trusting God with his reasons for fear that leads David to a conclusion of, oh, it's right. I've just told God about all of these things. What can flesh do to me? I've told God about it. What can mere mortals do to me? I've just told God about my reasons for fear. And I think that we understand this in some ways in our relationships with one another or maybe with us and children. Secretly, even if a child won't admit it, there is probably a desire, a hope that one day the, that, that the one that they tell is, has some power, some ability to help them with their fear. And even if the person that you tell about your fears have, doesn't have power to help you, there is a sense of, of relief in you no longer bearing the fear alone in isolation. Somebody has entered into that walk of fear with you. What I see in happening in Psalm 56 is David is doing this with God. God is his companion in this. It shows us, by the way, the heart of God for us as well. Nowhere in the psalm do we see David apologizing for telling God this. David runs to God and demands of God his grace because he needs God's grace because of his, his oppressors. And like any good parent who loves their child, so God loves us and wants us to trust him with our fears. So Psalm 56 isn't a duty for us to fulfill. It's an invitation of a loving God to hear us, for us to trust him with our fears. Do you? Jesus said it this way, ask and seek and knock. Jesus says that we have a father who, when we ask him, he will not give us something harmful or something dangerous. You ask him for bread, he's not going to give you a serpent that would bite you and harm you. You have a God whom you can trust. Jesus told us that. Do you trust God with your fears? Do you tell him about your fears? David did, and so should we. Number two, not only should we trust God when we're afraid by telling him about our fears, number two, when you are afraid, trust what God said. Look at verses three and four. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Then he moves directly into these words of praise. In God, whose word I praise. In God, I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Notice how David connects his trust in God with praise of God. Or or specifically, how David connects in verses 3 and 4 his trust in God with his praise of God's word. That's really what he's praising specifically. I believe verse 4 shows us that for David... Trusting in God means that he is esteeming and believing the words of God more than his fears. Trusting God is not just this passive relinquishing of your soul in the angst that it feels. I'm sure that that could be happening in some kind of experiential way, sure. But for David, trust in God meant this, that he was calling to mind, rehearsing the words of God so that he had a heart that responded to those words of God with praise with confidence, which means that trusting God has an object. And it was God generally, yes, but it was something specific about God. It was God's words of promise to him that he could respond to with praise. Yesterday, I was uh, watching some uh, of National Geographic's uh, coverage of remembering 9-11 and firsthand accounts of people in horrific circumstances and how um, first responders would give words of comfort to the people that they were caring for in these horrific circumstances, you're going to be okay, I'm with you now. 
and how those words of the first responders, how, how the person that was in need would latch onto those words and would find hope and courage and comfort to carry on. And I believe in some ways you see David hearing the word of God, his first responder in his circumstance of fear, clinging to those words and finding comfort and hope in them so that he could respond in this fearful circumstance with this phrase, what can flesh do to me? At the end of verse 4, you see that perspective change. That comes as a result of God's Spirit strengthening and calming a soul to esteem and treasure the words of God, the promises of God, more than the reasons to fear. Now, we'll unpack that more in just a bit, but moving forward, I believe what, that David is onto something here. But it's like his heart can't hold on to it, which is why in verses 5 and 7 he returns to this kind of rehearsing of how bad things are in his life. All day long they injure my cause, verse 5. Verse 6, they stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime, will they escape? There's kind of this rhetorical question to God, this desperation. I'm not sure what you might expect to hear next from a, after a question like that. God, are they going to get away with this? Maybe you're expecting him to hurl an accusation against God. God, where are you? Why are you silent? But that's not what happens. In verse 8, we have one of the richest expressions of faith found in Psalm 56. It's beautiful and rich lyric. God has not been distant. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? That's rhetorical, and the answer to that is yes, they are in God's book. God has not been distant and unaware of what's happening in David's life. God has been carefully aware of all of his tossings. And the word tossings, translated there in, your, in this text, is also translated wanderings in other places. And that really is what David is. He is a wandering fugitive, running for his life. And David understands. He gets this perspective when he rehearses and praises God for his word. You have kept count of my wanderings, my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Here you have a man, a battle-hardened warrior, right? Whom they would sing... Saul has killed his thousands. David is ten thousands. Here this battle-hardened warrior admits his own tears, his cryings. But he understands that his tears are not wasted. No, for God, David's tears were precious, saved in a bottle, as it were. And the same is true for all of God's children. When David wrote Psalm 56, it probably seemed like everything, everyone was against him. Saul was his father-in-law. Think about that. Maybe some of you have a father-in-law that's chased you down. But for David, this was a real threat. I mean, his own father-in-law was chasing him down. Innocent people were getting caught up around him in the bloodlust for his life, like Ahimelech and the priests there at Nob. On and on it goes. David is running from one threat. He ends up in another threat in the city of Gath, the, champ where the champion whom he killed. And yet everyone is against him, but he comforts his heart in verse 8, knowing that God is for him. I'm sorry, verse 10. Uh, as he goes down here, then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call, verse 9, this I know that God is for me, in God whose word I praise. There is he again, returning to the praise of God's word. I find this amazing. With everything going wrong around him, with all the hostility and oppression pursuing him, David concludes that God is for him. Now, that's not the conclusion that Job's friends came to originally, switching stories here to a different text of the Old Testament. It's not the conclusion that Job even came to at some points. 
when he was wrestling with the treatment that he felt like he was getting from God. But David was so sure that God was for him that in verse 10 he says, I can praise Jehovah, the Lord. I will praise his word. In verses uh, in verse 9 and 10 there, you see a repetition of what you saw in verses 3 and 4. Do you notice, see the similarities there between those two texts, verses 3 and 4 and verses 9 and 10? What you have here is David kind of returning to a chorus lyric in this song that is being written here. It's as if he's returning to this chorus because he wants to just shout the anthem of his heart's praise. So this connection then between trusting God and trusting his word is inseparable. This means then that it is impossible to trust God if you disregard his word. Or to put it positively, our trust in God is directly related to our treasuring of God's word. Those two are inseparable. And we understand this in human relationships. We know that it's impossible to say that you trust someone if you will not trust what they tell you. We understand that those two can't go together. You can't say, I trust you, and then they tell you something and you disregard it. Well, do you trust me or not? Are you going to take me in what I say to heart or not? David is showing us in Psalm 56 that those two are inseparable. So then a question for us is, do you trust God? Rephrasing it would be this. Do you esteem and treasure his word? Do you believe what he has said? Teenager, do you trust God? You might have heard things from your parents talking about the Christian faith. Fine. But do you realize that you can go to God's word and see it for yourself? Do you trust what God has said? Grandparents, parents, do you trust God? On and on we could go with the applications. Can we be assured like David that God is for us? Maybe your heart comes in here this morning with heavy burdens and fears. Fears that maybe you haven't told other people. Can you be assured that God is for you? Can you find relief from the paralyzing fears around you like David? And the answer to that question is yes, even more so than David. Yes, David had specific words from God to him to assure him, to comfort him as the anointed king of Israel. He had those promises to be looking forward to, eventually a covenant from God to him that would assure his heart. And you say, well, what do we have? Friends, we have something even more. I believe that the Apostle Paul was reaching back into a psalm like this in part when he wrote in Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read out a section for Romans chapter 8 as we bring this to a conclusion here in just a minute. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? This is kind of like David asking the question, what should we say to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? It sounds just like David in Psalm 56. What can flesh do to me? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Which, by the way, Psalm 56 starts with David asking for this. Be gracious to me, O God. Paul in Romans 8 says, 
How We have confidence that if He's given us Jesus, we have confidence that He will give us graciously all things. As you keep going, verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Boy, that sounds like Psalm 56. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Psalm 56, verse 10, I know that God is for us. He has kept count of all my tossings. All of, his, all of my tears are recorded in his book. Sounds like Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? And in many of those things, David was the first hand. He had first hand experience of those things. But then in verse 37 of Romans 8, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That sounds like Psalm 56. What can flesh do to me? What can mortals do to me? I will not be afraid in God whose word I praise. Friend, you can find in your heart a spirit-enabled ability to join in with David and praise God's word even though you struggle with fears. Christian, what your fearful soul needs most is to be freshly assured of all that God promises he is for you in Jesus Christ. Non-Christian, what your soul needs most is to turn away from your efforts of self-salvation and embrace the gift of God's love to you in Jesus Christ so that you can be assured that God is for you because you have experienced the forgiveness of your sin. And that's what it means to be a Christian. A Christian is someone who has been saved by God from the eternal penalty of sin by embracing Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior. It's what we heard given testimony of this morning already. So this is why David could say, what can man or what can flesh do to me? The son of David, Jesus, said it this way. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Friends, it's only when we rehearse and give our attention to the word of God that our earthbound fears are given perspective with these eternal realities so that Jesus' words don't sound foreign and fake to us, but they can resonate in our hearts and give us hope. When you no longer live in fear of God's condemnation, you can, with God's help, say to your fears, what can flesh do to me? The phrase, what can flesh do to me, reminds me of the Bible verse that we memorized a few weeks ago, Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Friends, that can give you assurance in your times of fear. How might this promise from God's word help you with your fears today? David was assured that God saw his problems and took careful note of his fears. And I read a text from Romans 8 to give you assurance of that more so because of Christ. But we can be assured like David also because in Matthew chapter 10, verse 29, we're given a promise like this from Jesus, the greater son of David. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Christian friend, we could go on and on, and I want to encourage you to go on and on in ransacking God's word, treasuring and esteeming it to find the riches that are there 
for you to hold on to in your times of fear so that you can find encouragement for your own soul and you can give encouragement and comfort to your Christian counterparts. One of the best ways to do battle against your fears is to trust and treasure God's word. So what can we do this week to treasure and trust God's word? Here's one idea. If you have a bulletin, if you grab a bulletin on your way in, flip it open, and you're going to see in the bottom left corner a verse memory passage, I would encourage you, like we've done a couple of weeks here on Sunday mornings together, is to set out to treasure and esteem God's Word. Start to fortify your soul with that spiritual nourishment so that you can help your own heart in times of fear and help others. But Psalm 56 ends much differently than it began. Look at the contrast. Psalm 56 started with lament and petition, but it concludes with thanksgiving and victory. David has moved away from self-pity and he's moved into expressions of devotion to the Lord. And friends, this is where I want us to understand how God's word should operate in our lives. God's word is not just a duty that we must memorize and meditate. I've got to read God's word again today, so I'm not uh, fearful. Friends, please don't orient your life to God and his word through that type of lens. See the lens of Psalm 56 where David concludes in verse 12 and 13 when he says, I can't help but give praise to God. I can't help but do this. It would be like you discovering that your investment portfolio gave you 80% return. You couldn't help but praise God for that return. And you want to tell others, stick your money there. This is the orientation of our heart to God, that God wants to his words of promise. So that as we see God's word operate in our lives in a soul-stabilizing way that helps us overcome fears, we, we are full of awe and amazement, wonderment and enjoyment of God so that we can't help but praise. And this is from the man who started the psalm with great fears. David is no longer walking in darkness of fear. At the very end, you see that in verse 13? Now he says that he's walking before God in the light of life. And this is what we all need most. We need most is to have a fresh view and gaze of God and enjoyment of the light of his presence in our soul. And we find this light in the praise. David found this light in the praise of God and his word. We find today, we find this light in the praise of the living word. John chapter 8, Jesus said it this way, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That sounds very similar to the end of Psalm 56. Whatever fears you're facing, whatever concerns that are paralyzing in your soul, keep following Jesus. Embrace the living word of Christ and join in David's anthem that we see in verse 11. He is going to trust in God. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me?